you sort of have that I've got your back that builds loyalty just a fun atmosphere I mean I love people I love talking I love hanging out with people and <laughs> That's asking why we're in questions. this industry but I have always preached that we're in the entertainment business absolutely and golf just happens to be the plate we serve it up on that's it. Nicely put. So if you don't also have that feeling with your staff and make it fun, then they're not going to then ooze fun to your customers. If things kind of go sideways, we know what we're going to do. But the rest of the time, let's have some fun and sell some beer and sell some golf and bring joy into people. And especially with COVID, golf was a respite for people. We did get people back into the game that had left. We got new golfers in. And now we're in such a good position right now that the sky's the limit and we need to start really capitalizing on that. I want to see golf as a safer place for women mm -hmm. and a place where women feel that they are truly equals in this industry and it's not just a man's game anymore. Hey everyone, I'm Colin Weston with the Mod Golf Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I am here live in person at the NGCOA Canada Conference. We just finished up. Met some amazing people, including these two amazing women beside me here, a dynamic duel, a mother <laughs> and daughter duo here in the golf industry. And I had the chance to meet you on day one for session during Women's Golf Day with Alyssa Gaudet, who's been on the podcast many times. And you two both spoke and it really resonated with me. And what we talked about in the Mod Golf Podcast here with making the game more welcoming and inviting. Yeah, we use there's technology and there's immersive experiences, but really that grassroots level of how do you make the game more inviting through the power of invitation and all those other great things, both to play the game, but also that multi-billion dollar opportunity in North America is the industry. So I have here, I have Leslie McMahon and her daughter, Claire McMahon, <laughs> and we're gonna have a little chat here. So to first start off, because it's fair that mom goes first, <laughs> that you're both from Red Deer, yeah. Alberta. So why don't you tell our viewers and listeners, we have a good chunk of our audience in the US, quite a bit in Canada and around the world now with the Mod Golf Podcast and YouTube channel. Leslie, why don't we start off? Why don't you tell us a little bit about where Red Deer is? Tell us about Balmoral Golf Course, just a little bit, just to start <laughs> off, and mm -hmm. also the origin story of the course that I believe your grandfather mm -hmm. first created. So tell us yeah. that story, please. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. There aren't a lot of golf courses that are hoping to go to the fourth generation. Yeah. So the lovely city of Red Deer is located right between Calgary and Edmonton. Mm -hmm. We're an hour and a half either way. So it's nice. You're either a Flames fan or you're an Oilers fan. That's right. Depends. <laughs> <laughs> the quarter section that the golf course is built on was our family farm. Okay. And my grandfather in 1959, you'll figure out why later. I don't know why he wanted to start a golf course, but it was huh. his vision. It was his plan to do this. So he started construction in 1959. The golf course opened nine holes sand greens in 1963. And unfortunately, in 1965, he passed away suddenly. Mm. As it happens in farm families, the oldest son takes over. My grandmother was still alive and was left with this business. Okay. So, you know, what are we going to do? We've got all this invested. So my dad, who was a heavy equipment operator, working on the road to Sunshine Village out in the mountains. Okay. And uh, my mom is a nurse. They quit their jobs and they went to run the golf course. Really, really hard work. By 1967, it was 18 holes with grass greens. So it took a little bit. I went to school, did some things, and uh, in 1991, I became the GM, and my parents stepped back a bit, and then slowly they stepped back from the business. So then, the next generation, so yes. I have two daughters. Mm -hmm. Claire is a golf pro and was really into golf, but she'll get into her background. Yeah. And then we have another daughter who um, 
not really into it and that's fine. <laughs> and that's fine too. So I find this great. We have two generations with definitely a crossover of how you view the industry, but also through your own unique generational lens and experiential lens also. So Leslie, so we'll hold off on you for <laughs> a little bit about Belmoral. I believe mm-hmm. we're just celebrating its 60th anniversary in 2023 next year. Exciting stuff there. Okay. Life interrupted. Claire came along. Apparently you were born with a golf club in your hand, from what I understand. So tell us a little bit about growing up, because that's not my world. I didn't grow up in golf at all. So tell me about that. I know you have no other life to compare it to, but tell us about when you were a kid growing up around golf, the industry, and also the game. I grew up right on the golf course. Mm. Um, I was born in May. So two days after I was born, mom had me in my baby carriage underneath the counter. Amazing. Uh, She had to go back to work. And so I was there. I started when I was probably four at our course, the back nine, 10 through 13 comes right back to the clubhouse. Okay. And my dad would take a cart, but I would want to run the whole time. So he'd have me hit the ball like 20 times and then I'd be tired. Then I'd run on the cart for two holes Uh huh. and then I'd play the second hole and then I'd be done. I'd be tired. So I, that... want to, I want to play that way. Oh, that <laughs> yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and that, no that's how I started. It was very low pressure. It was just, hey, let's tire this kid out. Yeah, yeah. And I just grew up doing that. And then I wanted to play tournaments when I was 13. They never pressured me, but I wanted to play college golf. And I was a good student and I knew I had the good enough grades, but I wanted to play in the States because there's just so many more opportunities for girls and just golf in general sure. in the States. Yeah. So I started playing tournaments at 13. I was never like a super exemplary player. I was a good player, but I was not, you know, number one in the country. I was not this golden child, Yes. but I was a good player. And then senior year of high school, grade 12, I hand wrote letters to coaches to try and get a scholarship. I had a few offers and I ended up in North Carolina. So I went to school there for five years. It was one of the only benefits I think of COVID is I got an extra year of eligibility with the NCAA. And so I actually stayed and got my master's degree in five years and got to play college golf on a scholarship for all five years. Amazing. So I was really lucky that way. And I turned pro right after graduating. And so that was almost two years ago. There you go. So I know what you expressed during Women's Golf Day at the summit there, the trials and tribulations and some negative things that have happened Mm -hmm. so far to form the early stages of your career and what we're going to talk about that. I want you to share that in a minute and how that has informed you. And hopefully I know that will then allow you to change the narrative, not only yourself, but other girls and women coming up through the game and everybody for that matter of how to treat people. We've talked about that a lot at the NGCOA conference this weekend, as far as experience, retention, empathy, and understanding it is that's good for business in the bottom line. It's not just the right thing to do as human beings, but you didn't have that experience. So I'd love to hold off on that for a second, yeah. Claire, but I want to get back to your mom here. <laughs> so maybe you can give us the stats because you know, because you being the general manager of Belmoral across North America, I believe it's about 1500 courses in Canada, about 10 times the number private, public and semi-private in the US. So let's say about 16,000, give or take altogether. What percentage or how many women are running the show in golf courses across North America? That's a really good question. Mm-hmm. And I don't have that stat. I wish I did. That would actually be a great one to have. Not enough would yes. be my answer. It's hard because there's not enough women playing the game. So you, I think if you see women in powerful positions and in management positions in the golf course or in the pro shop or right. teaching pros, it will bring more women in. So it's sort of like the chicken and the egg. Which one do we have to get more of? Kind of the, to be yeah. when you got to see one type of thing, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if you feel you're represented at the golf course that you go to, I have tons of women at my course. Mm-hmm. Shocker. But if, if you go in and it's, it's all men, it's all men playing, are you going to feel as welcome as if you did see more women at the facility? But 
but I, I don't know that stat. I know just in the NGCA, NGCOA alone, we have 1,400 golf courses in Canada, mm-hmm. but I couldn't tell you how many are female managers. If our conference is any sort of representation, there was 500 at the conference and there was 100 women. So let's say 20%. But not all those are in an ownership no, position. They're not, they're not owners. They're not necessarily managers. Yes. Yeah, hard to say. That's something we should probably work on. All right. Well, I believe between <laughs> you and Claire, I have a feeling that's going to be worked on. Mm-hmm. I'll turn it back over to you, Claire. So share with us, once you got out of school, you're excited because you actually got your first position. Are you a Class A teaching pro? No, so I'm you? still an, an associate professional. Okay. So I'm not full Class A yet. I've had kind of a weird year, so I haven't been right. able to finish all my classes mm-hmm. this year. But yeah, I turned professional right after graduating. I got a job in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Yes. I don't want to say the actual course name. No, that's, <laughs> let's leave that out of there because it's, this is not a good story, not it's, no. but, but it's and something still, to build on. I still am going to go back and work there. So and for like double to, reasons, yes. Yeah. You, so we're not going to name the course in North Carolina somewhere. Leave it at that. Yeah. So share that. Please. I was so excited. So I was going to school in this little town called Wilson and I got to move to the city and it was like this huge private club. It's this beautiful facility. They have 800 members. It's mostly families, tons of women. I was so excited. Mm. And the position I actually was hired for was the golf shop manager. But when I went and interviewed, I said, I'm turning pro. I want to teach. I want to get golf pro experience. The manager there was like, absolutely no problem whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And then I was met with enthusiasm. So I was expecting that when I started. And then once I got there, I wasn't. So I worked there for four or five months. And there was two other golf pros there that I don't want to say they were intimidated by me, but the membership liked me. And I was, you know, trying to get clinics. I was trying to teach. The director of instruction there was really my ally the whole time there. He was like, I want you teaching my women's clinics. I want you teaching the kids because I was enthusiastic. I was a fresh graduate and I was excited. I wanted to learn. And these other two pros, the one was my age and the one was a little bit older, but they just didn't want to see me succeed. You had heard in the talk I gave some of the stuff I went through. The one would leave his dirty clothes on my desk. He would punch the walls, throw temper tantrums. He would either leave early or come late when I, he knew I had clinics scheduled, so I couldn't leave. So I would have to stay in the golf shop. And if you don't go and actually teach the clinic, you don't get paid. Right. So I was missing out on money. And then if I would confront him, he wouldn't talk to me. Like just like petty high school stuff. But it was like, this is my first professional golf job. I want to do a good job. And I just wasn't supported by my coworkers. And the director of golf in my brain, like, because I mean, I grew up with a strong female manager. Yes. But I mean, I was expecting someone to be there for me. And so I went to the director of golf and he said, oh, boys will be boys. Wow. It never got better. I'm going to interject that we were telling her to quit all the time. Right. Yes. (laughs) I, I never quit a job. I never quit anything. I finished my master's program in five years. I'm not a quitter. Yes. And I wanted to stick it out. And I was like, this is a really good opportunity. I loved the members. I loved the people I was teaching. I loved the kids I was teaching. And it was such a good club that way. But I'm, I'm being tormented by these men. And it's unfortunate because I had one good guy there, the director of instruction. All he did was teach. And he's like, you're a good teacher. You need to stick with this. Like, you can do it. Like, Just stick it out. I had finally put in my two weeks. I was leaving. I said that I was going to stay until member guest because it's a huge, huge tournament. Yes. It's like, like we sleep there. Like it's like a nightmare, <laughs> huge tournament. Yes. And they're like, please just stay and help with that. But the next day after I said I was quitting, these two pros were like, your life is going to be hell until you are gone. Wow. So, and I said, well, it's been hell. So I'm going to go now. So I quit that day and the director of instruction said he was going to try and help me out if he could. So that was it for them. And I left and... 
it was awful. <laughs> wow. And this week there was so much positivity at the conference and information sharing about the experience economy, for mm-hmm. one, but also about cultural transformation in the workplace. Mm-hmm. In the workplace, of course, focusing on golf courses mm-hmm. and what a negative, toxic experience that is mm-hmm. for you. So I want to flip it back over, Leslie, do you, what is the culture like from the top down at Memorial? And what do you do that's intentional? And what are you looking at? What coming out the other side, what you learned in the last three days, perhaps that you're looking now to try to enhance that as you go? Being at a conference like this, it really makes you think about these things. And I think because I've been doing my job for 32 years, I, it's just the way I do it. And I, I never would identify that I'm doing a certain culture. I look at the people that I hire as my coworkers. It's not I'm here and they're here. There's no job on the golf course that I can't or won't do. Mm-hmm. So they know that if the ice machine breaks down, I'll be in there and I'll get it fixed. And, and we're a small operation as well. So hopefully this is what I'm going for is a family atmosphere. I have very loyal staff. I've been very lucky. I work around their grandchildren's graduations and you're trying to make the whole thing a a good experience. And I, I just don't see like a them and us sort of situation. We're all in this together. I think something that's extremely important as a manager is if I say that these are the rules of the golf course, like can't bring your own alcohol, which is a liquor law that's the rule. That's what you're trained to enforce. Mm -hmm. And if you do it, I am behind you a hundred percent. If the customer is yelling at you, the customer is going to go because you're doing exactly what I asked you to do. I'm going to stand by you a hundred percent. If you waffle on that, then we're going to have some, some issues because I need you to enforce what I, and I'm talking rules, but in a lot of situations, you sort of have that. I've got your back. Yes. That builds loyalty. And I think just a fun atmosphere. I mean, I love people. I love talking. I love hanging out with people (laughs) and asking questions. That's why we're in this industry. Yeah. Uh, No one in golf hates people. No. Well, some do, and they're really bad at their job. (laughs) Yes. But I have always preached that we're in the entertainment business. Absolutely. And golf just happens to be the plate we serve it up on. That's it. Nicely put. So if you don't also have that feeling with your staff and make it fun, then they're not going to then ooze fun to your customers. So you need that really good structure. I've got your back. This is the way things are going to play out. If things kind of go sideways, we know what we're going to do. But the rest of the time, let's have some fun and sell some beer and sell some golf and bring joy into people. And especially with COVID, COVID was was a near disaster. We didn't know what was going to happen. Yes. I was the new president of the association and so many meetings and and we didn't know, we didn't know if golf was going to be completely shut down. We're making plans. And as it turned out, golf was a respite for people. And so we, we did get people back into the game that had left. We got new golfers in and now we're in such a good position right now that kind of the sky's the limit and we, we need to start really capitalizing on that. But I think if you look at your golf course as a place of joy, Yes. For people and it's about so much more than the golf it's being outside it's being with your friends it's all those things wrapped into one and it's a pretty unique situation wow what a great response and i've seen it myself in in architecture that's my background oh, okay. originally and what i now do in the entertainment space and, and in the golf space but it applies to every industry as far as leadership empowering those around them and giving them the opportunity to feel comfortable and not be fearful of being reprimanded for coming up with an idea or thinking rather, well, you're challenging me. No, I'm doing this for the betterment. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the things I care about it. Mm -hmm. And it sounds 
to me, Claire, that the club that shall remain unnamed that you're going back to <laughs> has a bit of a problem there from the top. Even though there's a couple of people that are your allies, do you see the opportunity there that things are going to change, that your experience will be better going back there? Yes. Obviously, you're hopeful because yes, you're going absolutely. back there. So yeah. what, what do you think? Are there anything that they've said that intentionally they're going to do that they've listened? Yeah, there's, so, a t- there's a twist. There's a twist. Not really. <laughs> okay, there's a twist. Okay, tell us about the twist then. Twist Sorry. us up. So I actually went and worked for another club for a little bit, and they were a corporate-owned club that would not sponsor work visas for their golf pros. So okay. I called up the director of instruction. I call him and I said, hey, I'm, I'm really in a pinch here. Do you think things could be better over there? What do you think is going on? And he says, well, give me a minute. I'll make some phone calls. I'll talk to the GM. Let's see what we can do. So I never had an exit interview because I left. The day I quit, I left. And I hadn't talked to the GM more so than a, like a hello in the hallway since my interview. And I worked there five months. He was just busy, whatever. I just I hadn't seen him. And so he calls me, who I've, I've barely talked to this man, and he says, can you tell me why you left? I said, what were you told? He goes, well, they told me you wanted to be closer to your apartment. And I said, well, that's not what happened. So uh-huh. I was able to have this honest conversation with him, and he was extremely apologetic. He was horrified, honestly, because he didn't know, because he was just hearing what the director of golf was telling him, and that man had been there for years, and mm. he had no reason not to trust him and that that's what was really happening. And he says, okay, well, what can I do to get you back? And I said, well, I, my visa's expiring. I need a new visa in four months or so. I said, I want to raise. And I said, I'd need everybody gone. And I said, I have a job now. I can go back to Canada. I can get my stuff sorted out. But that's what I would need. And they were able to offer all of that. They basically cleared house. All the guys went to other clubs. The one left the golf industry like at Christmas time that year. So I started there in June. I left in October. Right. The one left on his own, and then the director of golf also, he had another opportunity, so he actually left as well. But everyone was now gone that I had worked with, except for that director of instruction. That was the ally. That was that the was ally. ally. Not Mr. Toxic. No, yeah. not Mr. Toxic, no. <laughs> and I was actually very lucky that the Mr. Toxic had hired a female golf pro who was a PGA of America Class A professional to replace me, again, to put someone else more qualified than myself into that position. Right. And she got promoted to head pro. The director of instruction became the director of golf. I was the first assistant. And then they hired another gentleman to run the shop. But he was also a professional. And he was also going to be allowed to teach. And I was really lucky enough that when I went back, we got to kind of create our own new culture. And having two females in, you know, the top three people in the golf area of the club, I think was really beneficial. And the men at the club, I think, were a little hesitant. They were kind of like, I don't know how this is going to go. Because it's an old club. It's a 100-year-old club. But it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) They know what happened. But after a few months there, people were happier. When I worked there, we could not find cart guys. Right. They'd work for a month and they'd quit. And like no one could figure out why. And all of a sudden, we could keep staff. All of a sudden, the members were happier. All of a sudden, the T-sheet wasn't as backed up. Things were happening and things made a lot more sense. More lessons were being taught. Yes. People were more excited to come to work. Like I loved my job before because I was just excited to be in the golf industry. But now I love my job because the people wanted me there and respected me. And I respected them. And my boss now that he was the director of instruction, now he's the director of golf. He's like, I love being surrounded by these girls that are can teach me things. And the old boss didn't think I could teach him anything. And I just felt really good to feel like I was respected. I have a master's degree. I'm a golf pro. 
like I'm smart. Yeah. <laughs> and it was nice. There's to, some potential there. Like, it was nice to be recognized. Yes. For that. And then now they're sponsoring my visa. It's a long story. I got married in August and my husband is down there. And so yes. they're trying to get me back down there. But I went down last month and they're like, we can't wait to have you back. The members are asking about me still. Like, when is Claire coming back? Really, we got to do a 180. But I understand the reality is that not every woman in this industry gets a 180. Right. Yeah. Lots of girls leave. We are now going to take a short break to tell you about something new from the Mod Golf Podcast. I'm excited to announce the launch of the Mod Golf Pro Shop, where you, as part of our Mod Golf community, receive exclusive discounts on curated golf products that I love and support. We are partnering with DeWiz, Deuce, Kinona, Back to Basics Golf, Project 72 Golf, and Odin Golf to provide a curated selection of golf essentials to help you play better and look great while you're doing it. Use promo code MODGOLF for between 10 and 20% off your purchases to receive the best exclusive pricing that our partners offer. Go to www.modgolfpodcast.com to check out the golf gear that our fabulous brand partners are ready to deliver to your doorstep. That's the ModGolf Pro Shop at www.modgolfpodcast.com. So Leslie, I want to switch gears here a little bit and ask you about your work with the NGCOA Canada. I understand you were the president of the national board and then you stayed on there as, as a board member, as, as the past president. So in that leadership role, I understand you were the first woman to actually have that role. So can you tell us a little bit about how you first got involved with the NGCOA Canada? And yeah, just to tell us the story and the, the journey that led you to leading the organization. So we ran our business for a long time, kind of feeling like we were on an island and um, we didn't really have our own. There's the Golf Pro Association, there's a superintendent association, there's a society of club managers, but there was nothing for owners. I was at the PGA Alberta buying show. This would have been in the early 90s. And I met these two gentlemen, Mark Seabrook and Jeff Calderwood. They had a little card table standing there. And I said, oh, what are you guys selling? You're at the buying show. And they said, well, we're the National Golf Course Owners Association of Canada. And I'm like, what? (laughs) What is that? That sounds really awesome. Yeah. And so we had a really good conversation. and, And it was like this epiphany, like, here is finally something for us. Because at that time, we didn't have a golf pro. My dad was a superintendent and we were part of the superintendents association, but there was no buying programs. There was no better deal on, let's say, credit card fees, pop or fertilizer. We couldn't get those kind of deals. And we're, we were just a one-off at that time. We just had the one golf course and right. we kind of looked at it, it as like, wow, finally there's something for us. So we joined, I have to look it up, but I think in 1994, I know our membership number was number three, which I always thought was really funny. <laughs> it was probably alphabetical and the course is Balmoral, but I'm just going to stick to the number three being uh, our membership number. Right, right. A couple of years later, I was asked to go onto the Alberta chapter board. So we have provincial chapters. So I was on the chapter board, eventually became Alberta chapter president, which puts you on the national board as a provincial representative. I was on the national board as the Alberta rep and then eventually worked my way up into the executive, moving towards secretary, treasurer, then vice president, president, and then past president. You know, I'm going to sound like such a, what's the word? Like when you're cheering for your own team, a homer or whatever, but (laughs) I love the NGCOA. I think it's such an amazing organization. It's so good for small businesses like mine. You have a voice and they really understand what we need because they listen to us. Excellent communication. I've never felt that anything was put upon the owners. 
but it was a place that we could meet other owners and talk. My family, old farm family, so you don't talk about anything. I'm not going to go talk to my neighbor about how's business. But right. what I've learned through the NGCOA is that networking is so valuable. And I can go to a conference in Vancouver and sit with someone from small town Ontario and we can have the exact conversation. Like, how do you deal with your property taxes? How do you deal with trying to get your leases in on time? It became this world that I just felt comfortable in. And I was lucky enough to have the opportunity. Someone saw something in me to ask me to go on the originally the Alberta board and then moving up into the national board. Gotcha, and, gotcha. So, so with yeah, that, I would sorry, the, the, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, to continue this, this is your journey. I think you were going there. So sorry if I inter- interrupted. Is is just that at that time when you first got involved as a woman, what was the representation as far as percentage wise, not only within the organization, but especially at the leadership and the executive there, were you really quite literally breaking the, uh, I'm going to use a pun here, the grass ceiling? I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> I just, I, okay. I just said that. I'm not, I'm not going to edit that out. That's really lame, but I'm, it's the grass ceiling. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be all over the internet that one. There we Um, go. Okay. So let's say the first conference I ever went to, I'm on the Alberta board, not on the national board or anything. And there was very few women. I'd have to ask for the actual numbers, but it sure didn't seem like there was many of us. Then every year it's grown and grown and grown. Being part of the board. I don't know that there was ever a time there wasn't another, at least one other woman on the board. Having Natalie Lavallee as the COO of the association as well, there's always a strong female presence with at least two of us on the national board. We definitely weren't 50% of the representation, but right. but women aren't 50% of the golf business, no. sadly. We should be, but yet. Uh, sadly yet. we're not yet. Yes, thank you. We're working on it. I'm working on my daughter. So I never felt that I was singled out because I was female. I hope that I was never chosen because I was female to fill a position. And it's interesting when my time came to move into the uh, executive and then eventually becoming president, I said to Jeff, he goes, okay, well, what do you want to do about the fact that you're the first female president? And I said, well, it should be mentioned that I'm the first female. But beyond that, I don't really want any more discussion of it because I want to be reassured that I'm in this position because I am the right person to be in this position right now. Yes, yes. And I was on the board a total of 12 years. I've done my time. I had shown my loyalty, I guess, or my enthusiasm for the board, my strengths, and I wanted to move up because I was the right person to move up, not because we were going to break down some barrier, grass ceiling, as it were. Jeff and Natalie was very supportive of that. We did want to make the point that I was the first female president because there are other golf associations that have never had female presidents or maybe even decent representation on their board. So as important as I think it is, I also think it's very important that I am from a small operation Mm -hmm. and for people to realize that the mom and the mom and the pop knows a lot of stuff and can contribute to a big organization like this that speaks to private clubs, multi-course owners, big corporations. But really, when it comes down to it, every golf course has the same basic elements. It's just what the actual presentation of the meal is, right? But the steak and the potatoes and the vegetable are all still the same thing. That was really my focus. And they were awesome about it. Agreed that it is a big deal, but by the same token, it's really not. <laughs> yeah. If that makes sense. It does. I was the it one does. who downplayed it more than anybody because it's like, no, I'm just the right person for the job. I just happen to be female. And that's the way it should be. And I'm, my work in entrepreneurship across the country, that whether it's through investment or even accelerator programs for women entrepreneurs, and that's desperately needed because the representation is underrepresented. 
but hopefully we get very quickly to a day where we even drop any type of word in front of entrepreneur or business owner that or president that you're just that person in the rule. And we're not right. quite there yet. And I know that in golf with women and also in entrepreneurship that we still have a ways to go. So, so we do need to lift and celebrate and support underrepresented groups. And eventually the hope is that eventually we'll all be on the, uh, the same level playing field. But realistically, mm -hmm. we're not there yet. So work has to be done. And you're a change maker and someone that's helping to knock down or mow that grass ceiling. See, I can't help myself now. <laughs> I've got this now. It's so bad. You're it's, kind of, it's kind of good. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that was partly the reason for the women in golf business that we started in Calgary. Actually, the year I became president, that was the first year we did it. And we really wanted to have a moment for women in the golf business to come together and talk about the unique things that we deal with, because it's not the same for me as, as another 53-year-old man in the same position. In a lot of ways, it makes us stronger. There are some women that have had to leave the golf industry because things got bad or it just wasn't a fight they were willing to fight. But for some of us, it's like, no, I'm, I'm going to push forward and this is what's going to happen. And I'm going to try to be a champion for the people that come after me. And hopefully if I, I can make a little hole in the bubble that there can be a lot of people that'll filter through after that. And we can make it a more equitable business and get more women playing. See, I, I, I see a deep correlation between the number of women playing and the number of women working in the industry. Because if you go into a pro shop and you see a woman behind the counter, you're going to say, oh yeah, okay. Versus always like, you're surrounded by men, you're golfing with men, there's men in the pro shop, there's men driving the equipment. We need to see ourselves there as well. So anything that can help move that direction is just going to be a bonus. So Leslie, it sounds like you wear a lot of hats, both in and outside of the golf business. And I don't know quite what it is, but I understand you got a little side hustle going on and the entrepreneur in you that can't help yourself. So tell us what's going on there. Well, this is very much in its infancy, something that I have some other people in the golf business that have shown an interest in, and it's something I'm hoping to build. I think there's a real disconnect between the golf courses and the beginner female golf market. There's things that can be done at every golf course to make women feel more comfortable. And I would say 99.9% .9 of the time, the golf course is not even aware that they are doing things that maybe hurt their relationship with the beginner female golfer, like dress codes, for instance. If you have a dress code that's not well explained and a woman comes to your golf course and she's not wearing long enough pair of shorts or whatever archaic idea you have and someone says to her, you can't wear that, you've lost that customer for life. They'll probably never play golf again. As much and as tell, we like to tell all their friends too. <laughs> and tell all their friends what an awful experience they had. And of course, it won't be that golf course. It'll just be golf. There's a lot of walls that we need to break down. I'm wanting to develop programming or a secret shopper, have a team of people and go in, see what golf courses are doing from a female perspective. I've done a couple of tests on this and it's quite fun. Go in and see how they react to a beginner female and offer suggestions of ways that they can improve that situation because we're 51% of the population, but 24% of the golfing public. So it's a huge market to just leave sitting on the table. I think a lot of golf courses are just doing what's always been done, what's been expected, which blows your mind when you think how old golf is. But we're trying to introduce this huge market. We're doing a lot of things wrong, quite frankly. So that's something that I really want to build on. And hopefully there's a market for it. I think there is a people I've been talking to think there is, but I just need to put all the elements together and get going on that because I think that could really revolutionize how new women feel about the game. You think about yoga, how yoga has just exploded. 
And the main thing that's so amazing about yoga is it's welcoming. A lot of times, very body positive, very ability positive. And golf is something that can absolutely offer that. You do not have to be in great shape to play golf. You can go nine holes. You can take a power cart. You can drink while doing it. Like, let's talk about that. I mean, (laughs) what better sport, right? You can be in not great shape and still be a golfer and be an avid golfer. That's something that we're really not telling the world that we need to tell the world. So I just wanted to bring up that. Now that I'm not president anymore and I've got a little bit of time on my hands, I'm working towards building something like that. And I don't see a downside. Well, we'll have to circle back. We'll have a conversation Mm -hmm. in a few months time or maybe in a year. And and if this is something that you pursue and get some traction, perhaps we'll have to have you back on the Mod Golf podcast to talk about your entrepreneurial venture here to unlock that multi-billion dollar business opportunity, which as you touched Mm -hmm. on, is to get more women involved in golf. Absolutely. The story you just told about how just the attitude has changed, almost like the spirits have been lifted And that is projected very, very strongly to the members, to the customers. Mm -hmm. And you can't fake that. No. And during our last session today with James Cronk with Golf Mm -hmm. Industry Guru, who we've also had on the podcast, Mm -hmm. friend of the show, he gave the example with Simon Sinek. I don't know if you've seen that video before that they had on today. Oh, yeah. And then you're going, oh, wow, that's me. Where they talked about this example. I'm going to include the link uh, in the show notes. So I'm not going to be a spoiler with this, with the Simon Sinek YouTube video. Mm-hmm. But in essence, it was a barista at two different hotels in Las Vegas. One, he loved it. The management treated him super well. And he was just engaged. And then at the other one, they told him what to do and or everybody. And it was super negative and just a, a culture of fear. And he just was there for a paycheck and heads down. So you must have went, wow, that that's me in the well, golf industry. I, and I mean, I was working the same hours I was before. Like, I mean, it's anyone who works in this industry knows it is not a nine to five job. No, no. And I mean, I was there at the same amount of time. It's a 45 minute commute for me out there. I loved going to work and I loved putting in extra hours and I was doing stuff at home and I was talking about work in a positive way to my husband and being like, I love my job. And I loved it before I feel supported and I could be creative. I could do things Mm -hmm. I wanted to do. Whereas before I wasn't supported in that way. It makes such a big difference. And people feel it. The members feel it. If you've got angry people, I'm big into energies, but like you can Mm -hmm. feel it when you walk in a room, you walk into a golf shop and people are angry at each other. Even if they're not all standing, you can feel it. Absolutely. And the membership has even said that since I've left, that culture has stayed. So something needed to change there. And I don't take credit for that. I think it was a long time coming. I think I was just the loudest voice and... I even had written stuff down that had happened to me when I was there. Yes. So I'm like, this might come up at some point. So you point. documented it, yeah. You know, and it did. And I'm really thankful, like, whether I'm there or not, I'm glad that those members that I really cared about are happier. The golf industry is very fortunate that you do not have a second experience that was negative or continue that trend. Because then you might say, the heck with golf. I'm done with this. I'm going to mm-hmm. apply my energy and my passion somewhere else mm-hmm. you're early 20 so you've got another <laughs> 40 years plus whatever another as long as you want to work yeah it could be like half a century's worth of potential loss to the golf industry but now we have that mm-hmm. so bring it back to you leslie how do you go about in your club to then onboard new people to avoid that dreaded churn that we have because we learned in hr in any industry whether it's accounting or golf courses it's expensive to rehire people Mm -hmm. as far as you as management and to bring people on and let people go and get rid of that toxic person because otherwise if you don't for other people 
four other players are going to leave. <laughs> so you have to get rid of that person. So tell us a little bit about what you do at Belmoral. I know you're a small course, but still you mm-hmm. have to have that culture and that cohesion and that ability. So what do you do across the journey for new hires and then to retain them, to engage them and to make sure they stay with you for as long as possible? Our operation is really small, so it's hard to hide. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> you're, except if you're on a mower, but it's intense. We are side by side. So I always joke, I have very unorthodox interview style. I sit down and I talk to the person. Do I want to spend eight hours a day with this person? Do you think we'd get along? Yeah. This is my personal opinion. I think references are a joke because you're only going to put people who are going to say nice things about yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Well, I did have, I did have one lady who um, put one and I called it and, they didn't give her a good recommendation, wow. which was interesting. That's only interesting. Just imagine the one she didn't give you, exactly. what they were thinking. <laughs> Maybe this is the best or the worst, right? Wow. Okay, this is just sort of a, an aside, but you'll, you'll see where it fits in. I train our staff that when you talk on the phone, to smile. When you answer the phone, even if you're having a bad day or you're tired or whatever, if you smile when you're talking, yeah. your voice immediately lifts. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not feeling like fake it till you make it. So if the attitude is always experiential and fun and happy that it's not hard to keep people yeah we have turnover i joke like there's nothing like a good firing to get everybody happy (laughs) but the hard part is is a lot of employees will not tell you in claire's situation she did try to deal with the situation in canada you know we have a seven month season people are like i'll just ride it out and they're angels when i'm there yes but when i leave then there's stuff going on so then you have to empower everybody to say if there's something going on text me you text me when you need a day off text me if something's going on and let's have a chat let's figure this out making sure that they know that you're there for them we've been really lucky our superintendent has been with us 40 years wow he started when he was 16 and he went through superintendent college and looking at the person as a whole and saying okay this lady has grandkids and they live in northern alberta and she's going to go for a month so she can be my shoulder season person so she can work for me until the students are done school then she takes june july and half of august off and then she works from middle of august to the end of the season she's as happy as a clam she has the whole summer off she can do what she wants she's fully trained she's been with me 15 years so you have two or three of those type of employees, yes. extremely loyal because I'm giving her exactly what she needs. She's too young to do nothing, but she wants that time off. And I need that gap filled because I lose it. And I go by the rules. I have to have a mix. It's a 65 year old man and a 23 year old woman right. working a shift because women get competitive if they're the same age. That's a problem. Young guys will mess around and not do their work. So, yeah, True. you know, you just sort of, <laughs> and they work together well. It's different skill sets. I have one man that works for me that ran a grocery store. Mm. So, I mean, he understands customer service and money management. And then you put him with a 21 year old business student and their minds are blown. Right. What they can learn from each other. It has nothing to the do with golf. The synergy is amazing. It has right? nothing yeah. to do with golf. But you build these friendships. I think for me, it's really, it's not about the sport. It's about the people and about fun and happiness and giving the customers and the employees just a wonderful place to be. Yeah, well, I'm really picking up that you lead by example. You also lead by empathy. Sounds like mm-hmm. this really saying, well, that person's life at that stage of their life is not mine. So I'm not trying to mm-hmm. project on what I do on you. And it sounds like you really listen. And that's the sign of a great leader. That's, that's, you've had a boss, but you're a leader. And it sounds like you've got a daughter that's a leader in waiting here. Yes. (laughs) 
ready to. I'm come still. To... I'm still young. I I understand. I have so much to learn. Yes. I, I try to age you here. No. It's okay. So <laughs> no, I'm trying to. There we go. <laughs> so why don't we finish up here with let's say with you, Claire, with the future, with your future. Where do you see or hope that not only will you be in ten years? but also the golf industry as far as where things can change and where there's potential. This is like a multi-pronged <laughs> question here. <laughs> and also, yeah, so I have another question. Let's start with that. Okay. I really want to see the golf industry is more inclusive mm-hmm. in general. I've worked my mom and dad's courses. Our clientele is blue collar. It is an affordable place to golf. That's a lot of people's first experience with golf mm-hmm. is like that. But then also working in the private golf sector, I've had girls you know, their husbands have had, I say girls, these women are like in their 60s, mm-hmm. but they've had <laughs> memberships for 30 years and they've never been on the golf course. They go to supper club, they play tennis, they yes. go around the golf course. So beginners are in every facet of golf. I hope anywhere I end up working or anyone I can have an impact on, whether it's I work with them or I talk to them at a conference like this, you have an ally in me. Yes. After I gave my talk in the women's golf summit that was half men were there, I had a lot of men come up to me and say, I had no idea. Wow. And I think that's beneficial too, mm-hmm. you know, because just because they're not treating their female pros like that, or maybe they haven't worked with a female pro, but they have to be aware that that is something that's very real and a very legitimate fear for women right now. I don't think I'm tougher. I don't think, I think I got lucky in my situation, fortunately, mm. and I'm really thankful for that. I'm in it now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, I don't know if I got thrown a bone. I don't know if it's, but I'm in it now. And I mean, I'm very lucky to have a really good role model. But I want to see golf as a safer place for women Mm -hmm. and a place where women feel that they are truly equals in this industry and it's not just a man's game anymore. Absolutely. That's a whole other podcast. That that is. That's going to be the next episode we bring you two back. That'll be part two next year in Montreal, the NGCOA Canada Conference. So I have one more question for you, Claire, then I'm going to let your mom finish up. Okay. How do you see that you can pay this forward? I know you're still formulating this. You're still early in your career to get other women that are coming through and maybe even teenagers and not only to play the game and make it welcoming and inviting, but even more so to grow the industry, whether as agronomist and turf or in management, you know, not just working a cart or behind the till, but actually leadership like your mom, the example here that will grow over time. What can you do or what do you aspire to do in the future to engage with other young women? Because you're going to become a role model pretty quickly soon, just like your mother <laughs> is now. So yeah. There's events like this where you've got women in the industry. There's women in every industry. Yes. And even though, you know, they're the minority in some, I think getting out there and speaking on it is really beneficial. And like, whether it's an event like this or, you know, going to high school career fairs, that's something we talked a lot about in sessions this week was like getting out into the communities and being like, okay, well, you can just be a server at the golf course and you're still in golf. And hopefully if you've got a good manager, they encourage you to go and use the facilities that you're working at, even if you're washing dishes making it just more approachable in every way. That's the ticket. And you're welcome here. Golf is for everybody. I'm working as a pro, if I'm working as, you know, a a general manager, if I'm working as a food and beverage manager, if I work at the pool at the golf course, I'm still in golf. Being able to speak as much as you can to people and encouraging other people. And if you're in the leadership role, encouraging your staff to talk to other people, like it's okay to work in golf, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's a good place to be. And I hope that I can be, I would love to be a role model. I never really think of myself as a role model. I tried to talk to as many girls as I could this week and like they were thanking me for speaking. Yes. And that made me feel really, okay, well, maybe I'm doing something right. I'm hoping going forward, I can keep doing that. And whether that's through teaching, I just got finished teaching a junior program at a rural school. I had 90 kids. 
they're all little hockey players yes. and they just wanted to come outside. <laughs> they didn't really care about playing golf, but I hope I made golf fun for them. And it's, it's all about just getting people exposed to it and that it's a safe place for everybody. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. Thank you. So, to finish up with you. You've been in the golf industry for a while, as mm-hmm. you've mentioned. I don't know how much longer you plan on staying in the <laughs> golf industry. It sounds like it's up to you because it sounds like you still have the passion mm-hmm. and you Absolutely. love it. It's always evolving mm-hmm. as this story continues to be written. What is your aspiration and hope to see in another 10 years or let's say by the time Claire takes over in your spot where, where <laughs> things will be with regards to getting more women in the industry and, and evolving the perception of equality? Well, I think the world's a different place than it was even 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't want to preach about the Me Too movement, but it, it did open some eyes and it opened some doors. Yes. The whole ladies' tea thing. Right. We got rid of that years ago. But that's just one thing that's sort of a stigma in golf, like always having a female beverage cart operator. Yes. You don't want to play behind the group of ladies because they're going to be slow. This girl walks real fast. <laughs> so just things like that. And it's such a tough thing because we have a wall we need to break down. It's about a quarter of the way down. Mm-hmm. And we still have to keep working on that. What we can do is just encourage more women to come out and play Make sure that they have a great time. Maybe it doesn't even involve going out on the golf course. Yeah. Maybe it's wine and putting, little putty clinic, or you do something cool on your driving range. For years, I did this program called the New Golfer Workshop. Okay. It was not for women only, but it was women were the only ones who really did it. And we would take our entire fleet of golf carts, load them up with everybody, and just drive a few holes and say, this is the tee, this this short piece of grass. This is also the tee. <laughs> and things that they just don't know and just get them comfortable in the situation and say it over and over, you are welcome here at our course. It doesn't matter what you wear or what your ability is. We can find a way for you to play this game. And maybe it's only four holes. Maybe it's not nine holes. Maybe you can't do that yet yes and you don't have to hit every shot if it's a par four hit four pick it up go to the green continue you're not winning any motorhomes or million dollars <laughs> here so no just keep it fun and i think we get so bogged down i'm all for the elite play and the good amateur play and all that that's absolutely needs to mm-hmm. be there but how we're going to get more people into it is breaking that down and saying you can come out and not keep score and throw your ball in from the woods nobody cares <laughs> We don't charge by the stroke. That's true. (laughs) Just come out and have some fun and have some cocktails and spend time with your friends and be outside and see the deer and see the trees. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to spend four hours. It really is. So that's the message that we have to get out. Less about dress codes and, and ability and just go out and have some fun and see the entertainment and the loveliness of it. So we get more women playing. I think that's going to encourage more women to be working in the industry in different roles, management roles, superintendent, agronomist roles, everything, not just finance and food and beverage, right? I don't know the cart or the horse. Like, I don't know which one. I think we have to do both at the same time. Move them both forward at the same time. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you're creating an amazing community and you talk about experiences and it's about entertainment Mm -hmm. at Bill Morrill. I haven't been back to Red Deer in a couple of years, back from my (laughs) architectural days when I worked on the recreational center. Oh, okay. Oh, the Colicut, the big one? Uh, yeah, I was one of the architects on oh, that. Excellent. So uh, I spent It's very the... nice. Boy, thank you. <laughs> I was not the lead designer on that one. I, did, I was part of the team, you but, I'll, told us you but were. I'll, I'll... I'm not one of those architects. There's a lot of them out there. Just like a lot of people. Take credit. At, like, I was thinking Mr. Toxic here, not you. I take credit for things that they didn't do and, yeah. of course, blame people when things go wrong. So yeah. it sounds like you do not do that, and I do my best not to do that either. So thank you for the conversation today. 
today. This has been awesome. It's such a pleasure to have the chance to meet you at the show and, and for you to put an hour of your time forward to come and sit down with me here. And as I always do, if you're listening on the audio podcast and the show notes, I will include a link to Love Moral. You can check that out, both of your LinkedIn profiles, so they can find out a little more about YouTube personally, and also down below in the notes here on our YouTube channel. So joining us, see you again very soon. Bye for now. Thank you. Thank you. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.